Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. And so today I'm talking to Bob Krulish. Uh, Bob's from across the pond, and um, he's going to talk about a very important condition that some people experience and uh, we're going to unpack it and pick it and hopefully have some um, useful um, conclusions to draw so first of all good evening Bob Krulish how are you I'm doing fine Russell thank you how are you good and I can um, I can sense from the accent that you um, are many miles away from me so where in the world are you (laughs) I'm in the United States in Seattle Washington one of my favorite cities. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. great. It is a beautiful city. It is. Yeah, and it's, it's close to um, the, the, the glass place, isn't it, down in Tacoma and such like. And I know you don't yes. mention Tacoma down there, but... Uh... No, no, great place. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I had a very... Yeah. Sorry. No, we're just reminiscing about how fantastic Seattle is, but uh, very good. <laughs> it's like, you, yeah, enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about bipolar. So... Maybe that'd be a good place to start for you just to tell me, you know, what it is you actually do, you know, what are you all about? Sure. Well, for, um, I had a career in the, in, in, in the insurance industry for a long time, but then I started to give talks for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is maybe like your mental health foundation out there, yeah. or it's a big, big organization where I became a speaker for them. And over time, after speaking some 80 or 90 times for them, people would come up to me and ask me to coach them. So I became a coach. I, I wasn't looking to become a coach, but people just kept asking me. So what I do what, most of my time is I coach families and individuals on how to live better with bipolar disorder. Right. Wow. So it would be a good place to start just to unpack I mean, many people have heard of it, but that doesn't mean people understand what it is. So could you just walk right. us through this, the condition? Sure. And it was probably better understood when it was called manic depressive illness, yes. because it bipolar sounds like it's on two different poles, perhaps in the brain, and it's really not. Yeah. Um, it is a mood disorder. It, it has ranges from mania which I'll talk about in a second, and then depression, which is the same depression that you find in major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. Actually, the criteria and the symptoms are identical according to the doctor's manual. Uh, 
but the mania is really what makes it different. In mania, it's just a lot of grandiose, expansive moods that uh, people have that they usually end up having a lot of a lot of projects that they want to start. They have a lot of ideas. They have a lot of energy. I've gone several days in a row without sleeping, without any problem. I've had, I can't tell you how many projects I probably have started in my life. And, and we become very animated. We become very expansive. We're very grandiose. We're very egotistical uh, in our mania. And our depression is much like, uh, as I said, major depressive disorder where we can't get out of bed. We have no ambition to do anything. We have no projects that we want to do. Um, we don't really get any joy in anything that we used to do. So that happens. It cycles through. So sometimes I might have two manic episodes and then no episode for a while and then a depressive episode for a while. Wow. It just, it really depends on how well I manage it. And fortunately, over the past several years, I've been managing it very well where my episodes are not as severe and they're not as frequent. But I went from being 16 years old, I became symptomatic, Russell, mm -hmm. and I started having all these bizarre behaviors. But I didn't get diagnosed by a doctor until I was 51, really? some 35 years later. So I spent 35 years of my life undiagnosed and untreated with bipolar disorder. And how did, and how did that affect your life? Because I'm guessing that you must have been yeah. tough to live with. It must be tough to hold down a job. It it was very hard to do all of that. <clears throat> I managed to uh, finish college uh, late in life. When I was 31, I finished college and started a family. I was able to get jobs because I have a degree in math. And, and there's a lot of jobs for people with math. I was an actuary for insurance company. Uh, and then later a project uh, manager. Um, I mean, a product manager. And, and it, I had to keep going from job to job because things would get worse for me as I spent more time with people. Yeah. Finally, at the end of my career there, I was fired from a very high level uh, job that I was doing a lot of responsibility and that caused destruction in my whole life. I lost my job and then I lost my marriage at 24 years. I lost my kids. I gave away all my wealth. I ended up being going from a multimillionaire to a uh, person homeless. Um, fortunately, a friend of a friend of a friend had a old abandoned cabin out in the woods and I lived on the floor of that cabin for two years. Goodness. And, and I did not have much contact with my kids. I did not work. I did not have any money. I was really living off of um, welfare yeah. for, for quite a while until I was able to get diagnosed. That was all while I was undiagnosed. So then I finally got diagnosed and I got on meds and things started to change, but it took a long time. Yeah. And I guess it, it, is, it is wreaked its damage for you over such a period of time. It was going to take a while to get back into balance, I guess. It's like everything blew, blew up, everything. My, my ability to work, my, my, my relationships with everybody. I lost 
hundreds of friends that I had through church uh, or other organizations. And uh, it completely destroys your life. I call it the illness of loss. Um, people ask me sometimes if, if I think they have bipolar disorder. And I always, my first question to them is, how much have you lost in your life? Yes. Have you lost a relationship? Have you lost a job? Have you lost your money? Have you lost your house, your car, your anything? Tell me what you've lost. And, and if they say they haven't lost anything, I say, fortunately, thank goodness, you don't have bipolar. Yes. Because and, everybody and, goes through it. And it's, and it's a sort of, um, when people don't realize that many of these sort of mental health conditions are an exaggeration of something that's sort of relatively okay. So it's at the end of a continuum, yes. isn't it? You know, people, all yes. people have a capacity to be hyped, energi energized, you know, really, right. you know, highly creative and everyone has the capacity to be depressed. And it's the, it's, it's, it's in people um, who've had this, but it's in all of us, isn't it? it but just in different, yes. different phases and ways. So it's not, it's not like, bipolar's oddness it's just simply a more extreme version of people at a different end of a continuum well, is that a fair summation yeah it is it's it it's just um we have a difficulty with our mood regulation mm. that part of our brain olympic system that controls mood we have a little we have a an illness there chemical imbalance um with um with bipolar we do do extreme things that people People invest in businesses all the time, but I would invest in the most risk, risky way possible right. all the time. I never could just be happy with going for first base. I'd yes. always had to be a grand slam home run. Everything I did had to be grandiose. So you're right. Uh, some people, you know, do well wanting to hit a home run, but it doesn't control their life it doesn't overtake their life yes and with me it did yeah and is that's this what a, happens is this, with bipolar yeah and is this a genetic um thing that's or, a good question good question yeah and is it it is yes it is genetic so you you get it genetically and what's interesting about bipolar and schizophrenia is that you get it genetically like um, I learned later in life that my dad had it, although he, he was so out of his mind, he left the whole family when I was 16 uh. and just disappeared, never heard from him again. And, um, and now I look back on his life and I'm certain he had it. And, and what has to happen with a person with the genetic predisposition is they have to go through some kind of a life experience that triggers that gene. So a lot of people have the gene, like my brother and sister are not, don't have bipolar, but they have the genetics from my dad. Right. But when my dad left, it affected me in a way, not that it didn't affect my brother and sister, it did, but it affected me in a way that environmental stressor affected me in such a powerful way that it turned on my bipolar gene. That's and so it was that event. And, and you'll hear people everybody that has bipolar schizophrenia can kind of point to an event that triggered it. So it's, so it's you have to have the genes and then the event. Right. And it's the, tra it's like a trauma 
it's like it's like PTSD manifesting in in a different way through the PTSD through the bipolar gene. Exactly, exactly. And once that's turned on, you have that trauma, and it has to just be uh, manifested in a certain way where it turns on that gene. And once it turns it on, there's no turning it off. Now you're just going to have you're going to have to be treated for your episodes the rest of your life. And how do you manage it then? Because I'm guessing you've reached a stage where you've had such an extreme yeah. reaction in a sense that you've, that you've had to struggle to manage it. And therefore you've probably come up with some pretty interesting strategies. Yeah, you're right, Russell. Um, the, the major way you have to combat this, in my opinion, and certainly for myself is with medication. medication yeah. And medication is very difficult with bipolar disorder. I've been on about 20 different meds wow. and about 65 different combinations of those meds. So, and I've only been diagnosed for 11 years. Wow. And so my bipolar requires me to really be on top of the meds. I have a very good working relationship with my doctor. I learned everything I could about the meds so that we can have a consultation in a collaborative approach to my medical, my meds. And then if you, um, if you're fortunate to have the therapy, to have the talk therapy with a psychologist, and I've probably in the past 10 or 11 years have about 700 hours of talk therapy. Wow. And all of this has given me tremendous insight to my illness and how to manage it. Yes. And then you also pick certain coping strategies in order to man manage your bipolar. So one of the big triggers is stress right. and a lack of sleep. So I tend to find things to do that are not stressful for that reason. And I make sure I get at least eight or nine hours of sleep every night. Otherwise it will trigger a manic episode. Wow. That's even staggering. with my meds. And so basically you've, you've, you've adopted a more thoughtful, calm, entire lifestyle in a way have you exactly exactly i do a lot i'm a lot calmer i i pace myself i don't have 14 projects going at the same time anymore i don't have grand ambitions like i did in the past i was going to be a united states senator i was going to be a jet fighter pilot i was going to be the greatest golfer in the world when I barely made the high school golf team, I had all these grandiose ideas about what I was going to do. And I would tell people all the time I was going to be all these things. And now I'm just pretty happy to be healthy <laughs> and not fixated on something huge like that anymore. And is there a correlation, which I don't know if this is true or not, but you often see a rumored correlation between pretty high intellect and very high functioning. Um, oh, it's interesting you talk about the mathematical thing, but um, high functioning yes. mathematical and creative um, abilities linked to bipolar. You often find a lot of comedians and um, um, actors and such like, and you find a lot of people with the math side of things. Is, is that a truism? Or is that just a, uh, you know, just a... That's actually no, it's a truism um, for whatever reason. It seems to uh, affect people with uh, high intellect or high creativity. You, part of it 
is manifested in, in our mania, perhaps, where when we're manic, we can accomplish incredible things. Yes. And so we sometimes find ourselves getting in positions of importance because we are slightly manic. There's another form of mania called hypomania, which isn't quite so severe. And people that can ride that hypomania are very, very intelligent, very effective, very productive people, very creative people, a lot of actors and actresses with it. Yes. And so yeah. having chosen this calm life, you decided to write a book and then go on the media circuit. So this is, must be a, a sort of a challenge for you because everyone knows that what a nightmare it is writing a book. So tell, so tell us about the book right. and the motivation behind it and, and what that's all about. Sure. Thank you for asking. Yeah, the book is called When Screams Become Whispers. It's going to be available next year uh, from my pub publisher. Um, uh, uh, talks about my life of that period of time when I went 35 years without being diagnosed. It's pretty much what it chronicles. The very end of the book is when I finally get diagnosed and get better. But I wrote it with a, a gifted writer. Uh, who happens to also have bipolar herself. And she was able to really articulate the inner thinking of a bipolar person, a person with a bipolar mind. So it's a great book to read if you um, are struggling with bipolar yourself and you're trying to articulate your mania, your, your thinking to a loved one or a friend. That would be a great book for them to read because they would really get to understand how the inner workings of a bipolar mind actually work and the way we think. And so um, when I when I first met my co-author, uh, I told her that for the longest time, like when I was in that cabin, I would scream myself to sleep and I would scream waking up that I that I, that I still am alive every day, every day, every day. I was screaming, screaming, screaming. And then when she met me, she says, but you're, you almost talk in a whisper. You have such a calm voice. Mm. It's like when your screams became whispers. And that's how we came up with the title of the book. Yes, that's very interesting, isn't it? And, and is that a common thing? Is that, a, is that part of your stress management approach to, to, to calm your whole body and perspective down it is it is i mean i do take medication that uh tapers my mood quite a bit i'm not quite as and and there's you know some things i don't have i don't have quite the enthusiasm in my voice that i normally have or nearly not nothing close to when i'm manic when i'm manic i'm the I'm the star of every party, you know, yeah. you want me in every party because I am, I am that guy that can keep people laughing and keep people entertained. Um, so you, you dampen that a little bit, but it's fine because you find yourself not doing, you know, things that are not necessarily good for you. Yeah. So I do a lot of, um, uh, I do a lot of study, a lot of meditation, uh, I, I get up early in the morning and I set myself up for a day with a lot of quiet and and just try to really get very mellow about myself. And that's how I start my day. But I start it 
um, a couple of hours earlier than most people like to start their day. I start my day at like 4.30 in the morning. And, but I, but I do some reading, whether it's just um, mindfulness thinking or meditation or scripture or whatever that might be. And I really calm myself as I get into the day. And, and, and it's really important that I set the day up like that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Absolutely fascinating. And so is bipolar something you might suspect you have? Is, or is it, is it, I mean, I'm guessing that you mustn't have even, I mean, these days bipolar is out there and people know, and I'm guessing you must think, you read the symptoms, you think, you know, I can almost self-diagnose, oh, I seem to have this, I go to the doctor, I get a formal thing. Is this book yeah. meant to be a sort of guide to help you diagnose yourself or more about how you manage the situation and, and you know, using your experiences as a, as a template? I think it might help people um, get a sense if they might need to go see a doctor, you know, they might see themselves in this book. And if you're seeing yourself in this book, then that's probably a good sign that you should go see a psychiatrist and talk it through. Um, it's not meant to entirely diagnose only a doctor can do that, but it might give people a little insight to something they might have. Now, the interesting thing about bipolar in schizophrenia is that half the people that have it have another condition called anisognosia. And anisognosia is a damage to their prefrontal lobe. And Russell, they can't know that they have the illness. They don't even know they have the symptoms. They're, they're, the damage that they have in their prefrontal lobe of their brain uh, makes it impossible for them to understand that they have an illness. So I do a lot of coaching with people like that in families where I'm able to get them to take medication when they don't feel like they have an illness nice. by just talking in a particular way with them and giving them examples of how their life could be. And it's very, it's very rewarding work because um, people like that are really suffering. Wow. And then with bipolar itself, it's really hard uh, to get it diagnosed, what what makes bipolar bipolar is the mania. Yes. And when we're manic, we don't go see a doctor. No. Uh, we we would think a doctor would need to see me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've always jokingly said the only difference between me and God when I'm manic is that God's never thought he was me. But I thought I was God all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, and and so we don't go see the doctor when when that would be the exact right time to see the doctor because he or she would be able to diagnose us yes, in instantly. no time whatsoever. Yes. Yeah. But we don't go. So it usually takes about 10 years of being symptomatic before a person gets yes. diagnosed with this. And what was the name of the condition where you can't recognize your own condition? What was that called again? Yeah, it's called a, a lack of insight. It's called anisognosia. Anasognosia, and it's found in stroke victims, cancer patients, and in the mental illness world. It's spelled A-N-O-S-O-G-N-O-S-I-A, I believe. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And I work with a lot of people. I've been trained by a doctor that figured out a communication program called LEAP that is out of New York and I've been trained by him and I do workshops all the time 
on on how to how to manage that condition um which you can only imagine uh like a parent that that has tried to convince their son or daughter they have bipolar but they have anosognosia and there's just no way they're ever going to believe it and how frustrating that that is yes so it's really hard to get diagnosed bipolar because you don't present yourself to the doctor at the right time when you're manic and then it's even harder when you have anosognosia and and you would you would never go see a doctor for that that is a fantastic insight thank you for that that's uh, that's um that's something i'm going to yeah, look, look into to further 50 percent of the people with bipolar and about 50 percent of people with schizophrenia have this anosognosia so there's in the united states probably about five million people walking around that will never have the insight to their illness yes so, yeah, so Bob, you, you mentioned writing and your book comes out uh, in 2021, I'm guessing. Uh, is it going to be on Amazon yeah. and all the normal places? Yeah, you can pre-order it now on Amazon. So it'll be, it's there now when Screams Become Whispers. And then I have, um, uh, like I said, I do a coaching with people with anosognosia or people with bipolar that are aware of it. And I coach uh, families and individuals kind of like we're doing right now over Zoom. And, and that's really very effective. It seems like the more educated the individual is or the more educated the family is, researchers found yeah. that they were able to triple the percentage of people getting into recovery wow. by just educating their families. Yes. Yes, yeah. that would make sense. It's really fantastic research. Yeah. And I, so Bob, yeah, how, it does make oh, sense, but to, yeah, but to see it go triple, wow, yeah, it's mm-hmm. astonishing. So the con- the context in which in which someone's living clearly has a um, has a has an effect on things. Bob, um, tell us how we can get hold of you. Uh, I know you're Bob Krulish, which is b o b k r u l i s h dot com is your website. Um, are you on all the social media places? dot com. Yeah, that's right. And where can we find you on social media? Yeah, they can find me on Facebook in um, on my Bipolar Solutions is my page on Facebook. That's pretty much where I'm at right now. I need to start extending myself out to these other platforms, but I haven't done that yet. Yeah, well. And they can find like about 40 videos that I've done on that on that page in, in Facebook. Right, that's amazing. You must put them on YouTube as well because that's uh, it's a good way to get them out there. Bob, it's been a, um, it's been yes. a joy to talk yes. to you today. Uh, you're probably noticing, as I'm noticing now, we've got a bit of an internet buffering thing going on. But all I wanted to say, it's been an tr- absolute joy to talk to you. It's been absolutely fascinating. I've learned things I didn't know and that's always great for me. So hopefully the audience has as well. So thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. You take care. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. 
and you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.